Hello and welcome to the Event Lab podcast, your window into the events conversation. This episode, we've got some great marketing advice from Matt Beach, who joins us from Patch Media. And I think that anyone working at a venue will find this really useful. So now more than ever, social media is about being social, just like in the real world. And in the real world, you don't walk into a a bar and just talk and talk and talk and expect people to listen. Ben from the Event Lab team joins Deborah Armstrong to chat about making event experiences better. Yeah, I don't think things need to cost a single penny. I've seen excellent experiential just done by speakers in a small room. And it's over to the News Digest now, where it's party conference season, and there's nothing quite like a live event to focus the drama. Money for ideas? Should agencies be paid to pitch? And networking not working? How do you make networking events worthwhile? All that and more to come on the News Digest, as we're joined by another stellar panel this week. Charlotte and Ed are joined by Richard Groves, who returns as a guest, and Martin Fullard joins us after his recent appointment as the editor of Conference News. Evening, everyone. Hello. Evening, Ed. Hello. We have Richard Groves. Welcome back. Thank you very much. Nice to see you again. Charlotte Gentry, it's been a while. Hello. And Martin Fullard. Martin, I believe some congratulations are in order. You are the brand new editor of Conference News. I am. I've taken over after uh, Paul Colston, after he's been in the position for 13 years. I didn't usurp him and there was no Game of Thrones about (laughs) it, but uh, uh, he has moved on to our international titles, Conference and Meetings World and Exhibition World, and I have taken over Conference News. Uh, So exciting times ahead. It's a hard act to follow, Paul Colston. um, What do you got planned? What are your priorities? What's the Martin Fullard's unique stamp going to (laughs) be? Unique stamp? I don't know. (laughs) Trying to maintain uh, a respected publication I suppose there's no 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 plans to reinvent the wheel. Uh, I would like to bring a bit more technology uh, into our features, uh, but generally I just want to make sure I don't uh, ruin it. <laughs> Looking for any challenges? Or? Well, there are always challenges. Uh, as younger event professionals come in, they're not so attuned to print media. We've got to make sure we stay ahead of the curve uh, digitally, and that's not just uh, restricted to a website. We've got to make sure our social media channels are on point and that we are trying to speak to a language that does get through to the events industry of all ages, really. Well, it's a great publication. Look forward to seeing what you what you do with it. Guys, last couple of weeks has seen the party conferences, which I thought we, we, we had to touch on for a moment. It seems to me the political party conferences really show that there's nothing quite like a live event for focusing attention and maximum drama, politics all year, all year round. You've got to and fro and turmoil. But these events is, seem to be where everything kind of comes together. And everyone really kind of zooms in and focuses on what's going on. Is there anything like a live event to cut through all the noise? Well, I think what it does is the the, the, the uh, political uh, conferences kind of underline a bit of a stigma in the industry, really, that the events industry is always not so obvious to those outside of it. And here we have the Tory Party Conference, the Labour Party Conference. They're very important events and they're attracting people from all over the world. And yet no one's seeing the actual event industry part of it. They're seeing the message, and I think that does that does make it quite interesting, and I think it does underline the importance that actually the events industry is responsible for that, and you don't know it. And there's huge, huge pressure on events organisers whenever there's an event. When there's so much national public spotlight, how much kind of extra pressure does that put on the events organisers? 
Crikey, an enormous amount. Um, and uh, what goes on behind the scenes, obviously, people just don't see. Um, having produced um, a fair amount of significantly oversized um, live events myself, um, where you're dealing with a lot of health and safety issues, you're dealing with a lot of security issues. Um, and obviously, a lot of those um, scenarios, certainly in the security sector, are now um, digitally orientated. Um, you know, the buck stops with you, and certainly the politicians are never going to take responsibility for anything um so you know it's um it's a huge sense of responsibility all round and 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 these things don't get documented in terms of actually what's involved with producing events of that nature because everybody's focusing obviously on the politics mm. and there's, there's there's two sides isn't there there's the actual huge conferences going on and you know there's lots of stands and lots of engagement and lots of side events going on but the only bit that um, we see is laura kunzberg standing who the woman who never sleeps um standing doing her reports um and maybe 45 seconds of the leader's speech and that's more or less it uh, but that's the message they want to get across so you've got the tv audience that they're aiming for and then you've got all the delegates of which they may be 14 1500 well 13000 descended on liverpool for the labor party conference and that's just a number to a to, a, to you know to the public but really when you think about it the infrastructure needed to to accommodate 13000 people in a single city i mean that's testament to the city's plan for events so much multimedia these days, social media, digital, but it really is, it's, it's these events where you get people together. That's what makes the real biggest impact, isn't it? And I think it shows the good orators as well, because public speaking isn't what it possibly used to be, that people aren't used to doing much of it, and this is the one time when they get their 15, 30 minutes of fame to stand and make a big speech and you're a cabinet minister, and this is a huge audience that you know is going to be on the, on the news, and you know your bit, your statement speech, is going to be the one that everybody reports. And some are good at it and some come very short. And it would be interesting to know, actually, who who actually, the person that's actually running the show, in inverted commas, because it's certainly not the people on the stage. Um, and I've certainly been witness to... Um, uh, some facilitators that have actually, you know, in terms of actually how the manoeuvrability of getting people on and off stage and, and actually the actual show call and everything that goes on behind it. And some people are, really haven't been that uh, particularly well um, able, capable in, in terms of actually delivering that job. And so it's a major, major, it's a major skill to be able to pull that show together and actually make sure that people are getting on and off the stage at the right times, that actually all the lights and all the production and everything is working at exactly the right times. Um, and that's never documented. It's never it's never really shown. And for the brand, or I guess in this case, the, the political party, I guess it, it comes down to trust, right? Nothing mm. builds trust better than face-to-face -face and interaction. Well, I saw the Tories learnt their lesson, had a digital screen behind the PM this year, so no letters were able to fall <laughs> off the wall behind her. So that's a start. We had them all. We've definitely had the Labour. We've had the. We had them all. We had the Lib Dem. Yep, yep. The Labour was Liverpool. Conservative yes. was Birmingham. Birmingham, yeah. And Lib Dem was in a Brighton. Brighton, yeah. I was going to say a small front room in Brighton, but. Uh. <laughs> yeah, well, it really, I mean, it, it focuses focuses the attention on on everything that's happening in in politics and, and all, fascinating. And to also, watch. the destinations as well. That actually that they're choosing to do this, which is also quite interesting. You know, Brighton's always been a um, a very very popular choice, um, and the fact, I mean, obviously so is Birmingham. But you know, Liverpool's interesting um, as as a destination in order to be able to cope with that number mm. of people. So I think it used to be Manchester, mm. Manchester, Brighton, and Blackpool used to be the three mm. in the old days, and now you know they're obviously trying to push it out into the rest of the region. The provincial cities have made huge progress mm. over the last few years in tailoring their cities to deal with this sort of mm. stuff. It's yeah. good. 
tempted to ask you whether there's going to be a snap general election, but I think I'll steer clear of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, this, this article was in Events Industry News, and particularly Charlotte, as, as you were here, uh, it was Mark Pepler from Pepler Lee Events, and he, he asked the question, should agencies be paid to pitch? I love this question. It's just great. Thought you might. <laughs> um, I mean, clearly, my answer is going to be a yes, because it focuses the, the, the client's mind on actually who they're wanting to put in the room and who they actually trust and um, revere in terms of the creative ideas, because what you're really paying for is the creativity that turns up on paper. Having spoken also about this today, um, you know, the question I sort of think is, you know, do you pay... Do you get paid for the creativity um, and who then owns um, the rights to those creative ideas once they're, they're handed over? Because the clients would then assume that they then own, own them because they've paid for them. And then should the delivery process then go out for tender and should actually we then get paid for the delivery um, as well? So um, because, it, you know, if when you're pitching, you're really only pitching the creativity and the ideas that get put forward. You're not actually pitching really your ability to deliver because the client should know that you've got the ability to deliver anyway otherwise they shouldn't be asking you Mm. to pitch that was one of the three big reasons that he gave pitching was a was a nightmare for agencies and one of them is exactly that as you mentioned often there are murmurings of pitches being used to collate ideas that inspire the client and how do you how do you um stop the the client taking your ideas and, and and then just handing them to their their incumbent because they wanted to get some fresh ideas and it happens all the time you know um and i think you know if you do get paid to pitch then the client believes that they own those you know ideas anyway and therefore they can ha- they can do whatever they like with them at that stage in the game and it's no longer the copyright of the agency so but, i think that's yeah it's a, it's a question between the intellectual property and so you put forward your ideas mm. and you can copyright it as much as you like because if you buy a book which is copyright written mm. you can't then go and republish that book or mm. write your own book based on it um whereas why should a client take your document mm. which you can say you can take back but at that point it's gone viral in their business anyway so you know any pictures or ideas will be in their mind or their database or on the back of a pad um and they haven't got any control of what's mm. going on and you know it makes them really feel they've bought it if they've spent money on it rather than just spent the time getting you to pitch i think you know i speak to agencies every month uh, of all shapes and sizes more creative more venue sourcing all sorts and they all have the same complaint the pitching process for a lot of people uh, for a lot of uh, organizations is is tax uh, is testing it takes a lot of time mm. a lot of effort and in so many cases as you both said they the ideas get collated and passed off to whoever they think might give the cheapest product, mm. not necessarily. Charlotte, do you ask how many people you're pitching against and yes, take always. a view on that? Yeah, always. And and if it's some crazy number, we'll just duck out. Mm. I mean, we won't. We've now become a lot more selective, and we won't unless somebody will actually give us a conversation on the telephone or give us a meeting in advance of that pitch actually taking place. We won't actually put. Out, we won't actually engage with it. That's a good hurdle to say. Well, yeah, I need a meeting won't, with you yeah. before I'd even start going through the yeah. pitch process. Well, actually, you mentioned one of the other problems is that he says as agents. So we've all been in a tender process that simply plays lip service to procurement when actually the incumbent incumbent agency is guaranteed to get the work anyway. 100%. And if they've got an incumbent, I mean, one needs to find out the due diligence as to whether or not that, that company has got an issue with their incumbent, that they are genuinely looking for um, a new supplier. Um, but if you've got no relationship with that company at all and you're literally, it's, it's a cold process, we personally wouldn't engage with that really. His solution is is the agency should charge to pitch. 
is that practical? You can't make everyone do it. Surely there'll always be agencies that don't. And how do you how do you actually kind I mean, of make I, that work? I had a um, I had an interesting. I actually asked the question at the Evcom conference to a whole bunch of corporates whether they would pay for venue sourcing, and I was given an absolute resounding no. So I mean, without without fail. Um, and um, so I can't imagine, you know, if that was a resounding no, I think that there would be uh, an even bigger stumbling block for a lot of corporates suggesting this, they this, pay. This, and in catering terms, this is exactly the same. We we, we um, get asked to do a lot of speculative, competitive tastings before they've decided who they're going to use, not to taste the menu that they're going to have at the end of the event. And again, it's how many people are you getting, um, to how many people are you going to. And you know, if you've got more than three people going to five tastings, you know this is actually a bit of a jolly and they're just going out for lots of dinner parties rather than actually take it seriously. Mm. So you know, to get them to do their research first, saying, do you, you, are we really in competition with this? Or are you just casting your net over the whole list of the venue and getting on with it? And if, you, and if you can't get a decent response out of somebody, why put you and your team through all of that when the chances of you winning it are very, very slim? I'll tell you a good feel story about this. Um, a very big sporting organisation has asked us to pitch for um, a 10-year deal and they are being really sensible about it. They've researched the market first. They know who they wanted to talk to. They've whittled it down to four people. What we want is to answer these questions simply and just deliver it back to us. And that's that's all mm. we want because we know you can cater it because we've asked the questions and we've seen what you do. We know what you can do. Charlie, what would it take for you to, I guess, put your head above the parapet and say, we we're, 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 we're charge to pitch and you're not going to get a pitch from us? Not much. I'd be absolutely delighted. Say, <laughs> 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 so, do you know what? This is what agencies are actually due because the amount of issues that we have when we are approached even by somebody that we know um, pretty well who've approached us and we've had a situation recently and I can't name names but a big company that came to us and we've worked with before in different ways and um, you you know we need something within a week and it's an incentive and it's really important and you put all your resource into it and you come up with a whole load of creative ideas you send off the proposal and they don't even have the courtesy to bother to respond and that happens a lot you know with Potential clients that you might not have worked with before um, or just contacts that you've got or whatever, but you simply don't get a reply, which is just rude. We've got a couple of minutes left. I saw this and I think it was in Meat Pie and it was about whether, how, how do we make networking events worthwhile? It seems to me that there are networking events pretty much every single night uh, in, in the events <clears> world. But according to this article, I think the research was from Cvent. Many UK executives are disinclined to network at events. They feel pressure to attend or even communicate with others in the industry. Only one third of respondents, 2,000 executives, said they were looking forward to networking opportunities. What do we need to do? How do we make these networking... Well, it sounds like they're going to the wrong events, for starters. <laughs> it all has to be looked at in context. It depends, it depends why they're going, which industry they're working in there are a number of uh, you know management level bean counters whatever who expect some sort of return on investment at everything but that's just not the point of networking events you go there to network for career development whatever it might be you know you might meet someone at one at one networking bash and not actually need to do business with them for five years it's you it's it, it's something to just bring people together and that's what events are it's also about education because you learn something from a lot of networking events, irrespective of where you sit in the food chain, um, from people that you talk to, from, you know, networking events often have some kind of, um, you know, keynote speaker or some kind of <clears throat> um, presentation element to it. So it's an educational thing to do. And, you know, that's that's an important part of it. It's not a revenue driver at all, really. It's about 
brand awareness mm. and building your own personal brand in the industry. It's well, education and confidence. <laughs> you know, you send, you tend to send people um, who are either business development executives or account handlers um, who may be in the mid to late 20s and they need confidence to go and talk to their peer group and also it's great for them to get feedback of what their company's like because they say oh I work for smart group or I work for pure or whatever and then they say oh we thought you did x mm. we didn't know you did y and then that's where the conversation starts and it won't necessarily result in a card with a ring me in the morning I've got a pitch for you it'll be something you know you'll run into them again at another event and your name is just in their mind because you're nice and friendly and take the time to we need to mix the formula up at all do we need to change the nature of these events yeah does it always have to be bottles of becks <laughs> it's always bottles of becks that's not product placement just there are other beers available uh, <laughs> but not a networking event <laughs> it's always becks that's my complaint <laughs> Um, I think um, greater consideration as to what the objectives are for these networking events would be would be good. Um, just picking a venue um, willy nilly because it's in a in a, a good location and easily accessible. Um, you know these because there are so many and you know I mean certainly a member of our team is at one every single night of the week. Um, you know, should they not be more engaging? Should there not be something that's going to be a little bit unique um, that's going to bring people together in some way? Um, where if you walk into the room and you're on your own and you don't have the confidence of somebody who's at, you know, um, higher up the food chain, you've actually got something to look at, something to engage with, something to talk to other people about. You know, that would be my recommendation. Apparently two-thirds of these guys that survey believe their manager would... Ex- two-thirds believe their manager would expect them to return with a business lead or convert an existing opportunity as a result of time spent networking at an event. Is this the perception that needs to change? Do you know what I think is important is that um, that there is some level of reporting that's done uh, as, as a result of going to, to networking events. I mean, as an example, we've actually got... Um, somebody at in Voyage um, this week, which is actually I think a really great event because it's full of really unique and boutique locations. Um, but you know, I would hope to receive a report of everything that that individual learnt as a result of being out of the office for three days. And it is a networking event, and it's a three-night, four-day extravaganza in Abu Dhabi or wherever it is. Um, and so I would hope that you know, there's value in in that person being out of the office for four days. What does that? look like on paper what have they learned is there a spreadsheet of everybody they met what conversations do they have and it's documented and i suspect there's an awful lot of that that just doesn't happen because people don't have the time sounds to me like not much needs to change at all <laughs> apparently 20 percent of the survey were interested primarily in the food and drink offering and not the networking i think i know a few of those guys <laughs> <laughs> guys thank you very much time has flown as ever thank you everyone and see you next time thank thanks, you Ed. Thank thanks you. a lot Up next, I'm chatting with Matt Beach from the events marketing agency Patch Media to chat about quick tips for venue marketing success in 2018. Hi, Matt. Uh, welcome, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for thanks for calling in. Oh, thanks for having me, George. Thanks for the invite. No, well, yeah, yeah no. So we'd, uh, we're glad to have you on. So I was thinking maybe you could start off by perhaps introducing our listeners to uh, Patch Media, where you're from, and maybe give, us a, give them a little idea as to what it is you do at Patch. Patch is an, an events industry marketing agency. Um, we work with a range of different organisations in the event industry, from event industry insurance providers, production companies, software providers, venues, and events themselves. Um, I'm an account director at Patch, 
So I have lots of my own clients that I work with um, as their marketing um, agent. Some we work in a full capacity and we provide their entire marketing department. Others we work with and just provide specialist skills like SEO or design or social media community management. My clients range from everything from royal palaces to abandoned power stations that have been turned into venues to academic venues, everything in between. And at Patch, we've got quite a diverse client portfolio. Yes, I mean, that's why we sort of wanted to bring you on today because we have a lot of venues listening to the podcast, lots of people that are, are working uh, in around venues potentially on, uh, on marketing. So I guess I wanted to start off, what does, in kind of broad strokes, what does a venue need to do to be successful when it comes to kind of digital marketing in 2018? I think the keys to success in venue marketing haven't changed probably since venues started marketing. It's, it's all about being found when people are looking for you and being the first port of call when people are thinking of a venue and you fit those requirements. In digital marketing, that changes slightly to conventional marketing. So being found comes down to um, search engine optimization, optimize social pages. So if people are looking for you on social media, not necessarily you, but your unique offering, it could be AdWords or it could be listings on directories and third party publisher websites. Being thought of and first port of call, that's really awareness generation and that comes into editorial features, traditional advertising, digital advertising, newsletter mentions, mentions on other people's social media channels, could be anything, reviews, anything when people are really talking about you and getting your name out there. And that creates an awareness amongst the market. So not only can they think of you when they're thinking of a venue, and that's exactly what you're offering, it also makes you stand out a little bit more when you're being found. So if they're looking on a search engine or looking on a directory, if they're already familiar with you through your advertising, through your awareness generation activity, they're more inclined to click on you than a competitor. So it's really a combination to summarise of being found when people are looking for you and being thought of as the first port of call. You kind of mentioned that not much had, had changed since kind of venues kind of started putting lots into marketing. But do you think that we'll see any uh, any kind of new trends emerge as we as we go into to 2019? I, I think the basic principles of being found and being thought of haven't changed, but we're seeing different channels, different mediums, different tactics all of the time. So even in my 12-year career, a lot has changed in marketing, and I remember when I first joined the marketing office we were still doing fax marketing for example and that relates to really being thought of it's the same thing so fax marketing you could say now in the digital age is e-shop third-party e-shots um, so I think there are always new trends coming in always changes new approaches but the principles remain the same I, I can't imagine venues would uh, would get much value out of fax marketing nowadays <laughs> I mean, what what <laughs> What, what would you guys say when you're kind of starting to look at a venue and kind of how you can improve awareness of them? What kind of channels do you, do you start with? What, what do you think are the most important? It, it really depends on their, their journey, really, and where they are as a venue. So if they're well-established and looking to grow, we look at what they're doing so far and reasons why they're, they're not growing. And we pay attention to those two things, being found and being thought of. And we sort of assess... How, and research how people are aware of them in the industry, what people think of them, and also the chances of finding them if you're looking for their unique selling point, for example, a conference venue for 100 people in the West End. So we'd work backwards from that, really, and 
from there we'd see where potentially the weak spots are and we could reach more people so that could be on social media or it could be on search engine optimization or it could simply be they're doing really good at that they're getting lots of traffic but they're just not converting so they could do with improving their positioning the way they explain themselves or their awareness so there's no straight answer to that it really depends on on the venue obviously a launch venue is very different and you're going to want some quick viral campaigns to get their name out there so yeah we assess each one case by case yeah so i need to pick up on that kind of uh, i think you just just mentioned uh, sort of a launch venue kind of wanting viral success i mean and i was wondering kind of what you thought about the the kind of pros and cons of sort of going viral with kind of like a, a single kind of hit piece of content versus uh, slightly less engagement but more consistent uh, engagement with like a, a kind of smaller core audience i i don't think there's either one or the other which is right i think you'd need to combine both and as i said it really depends on the journey so we we're working with a launch venue at the moment and for them it's very important to get their name out there very quickly and viral tactics but in the same regard we'd also have a consistent engagement because venues work in a way that People don't want to buy a venue today, the day that you're necessarily reaching them, but you want them to think of you when they want to buy that venue. So a mix of the two, and obviously a launch should have a lot more viral, hard-hitting, wide-reaching activity early on, but you wouldn't stop that just because it's a well-established business. And you would use the opportunities that you've got to extend your reach. So if I take a client, um, for example, a... um, a venue in London, 10 to 11 Colton House Terrace, they're, they're well established. Um, they've got consistent engagement activity going on. Year on year, they're growing. But they'd invested in attending Square Meal. And now that's quite, in its own way, that's a boost in awareness, a boost in people seeing them. But it was an expensive investment, the stand, the design, the staff time to go there. And they wanted to make the most out of it. So they approached us to come up with a viral campaign that they could do on the run-up to Square Meal, during Square Meal and after, so that not only could they meet people on their stand, they could get more exposure on social media and online throughout the show period. So I think really there's no right answer, but depending on the venue, where it is in its position, seasonality and the opportunities, that would impact whether you'd have a viral sort of quick hitting campaign or whether you would go consistent engagement. It's interesting that you kind of still kind of put emphasis on the importance of that kind of traditional way of getting yourself out there, just simply having a physical presence at events, getting out with a stand and kind of just meeting people as something to kind of aid more kind of modern, like digital uh, marketing, like sort of trying to go viral. Uh, so we host Event Lab. So yeah, again, kind of great ways to get your venue out there, meet people across the industry. And that's coming up in October. And so I guess the, the next thing I want to talk about was, I think it was in your in our, in our correspondence, you'd mentioned that uh, you were working with one of your venues, and I think you'd said that you, you'd managed to generate more organic impressions for that client in a day than they'd had in two years. I mean, that's, that's quite a success story. I was wondering if you could kind of talk us through that. I'm sure there are some lessons to be learned. Yeah, it, it was on social media, and it's actually, to set the backdrop, it's it's an insurance, um, an event insurance company named Innovexco. Um, so obviously content is difficult for an insurance company, more than, say, a venue or an event, and it's, it's a regulated industry as well. Um, and they're the perfect example of what we were talking about before. They, they're well established, they've had consistent engagement campaigns, but they wanted to get their name out there a little bit more, they, they've got growth targets this year so they wanted um, a way to reach the market en masse as well as continuing with their engagement activity 
So we planned a campaign which corresponded with Global Exhibitions Day. They're specialist event industry insurance providers and we use social media to leverage our reach and we designed a campaign in a way which added value to the people we were tagging and gave them a reason to share the post that we had made and in the same way through our campaign and through the creative approach we come up with a legitimate way to publish 80 posts in a day and for each one to have different tags. So it was Global Exhibitions Day, lots of people wanted to get their name out there, they wanted to celebrate their exhibition. We come up with the campaign around the world in 80 exhibitions throughout a 24 hour period from Asia all the way around the world. In line with time zones, we posted an exhibition at set intervals. Each exhibition was tagged with sponsors, organisers, the exhibition name, and obviously on Global Exhibitions Day, the organisers themselves and the sponsors, they want to celebrate their exhibition. They, they have been mentioned and they want to highlight the fact that they've been mentioned as one of the 80. So this worked um, really well, obviously, and through that success of people sharing, out, sharing those posts and the frequency at which they were going out, that's how we managed to get such reach in a day. And each one was coming from the insurance company. And what was important, I said earlier, because it added value to the people that were sharing and because it was a key theme and in line with something that was happening. So you couldn't just do that on any day of the week because on any day of the week, you're probably just spamming and sending 80 messages. Yeah, you've got to have a pretty good reason to uh, to send, send uh, sort of 80 messages to someone's timeline. But it sounds like you guys kind of really you know gave, gave the audience value, kind of justified it really well. Well, this is it was justified and it was backed by the UFI, uh, the Organised Global Exhibitions Day. And each person had an individual reason to celebrate the fact that they'd been mentioned and each person wanted to promote themselves on Global Exhibitions Day. So all the reasons were there to encourage people to share those posts. And we didn't, gain, we didn't lose any followers throughout the period. So that shows that just because of the curation and because each post was highlighting an exhibition, where it is, why it's special, for anybody that's an event industry buff and a real fan that stands out as interesting so yeah incredibly within 24 hours we we'd achieved more than they had on those channels in the past two years okay well i think we're uh, approaching the uh, the end of our time here but i was thinking maybe we could wrap up if you had kind of one uh, perhaps tip for venues on kind of social media or seo that you think just all venues should be doing. Yeah, I mean, uh, each one really is very, very different platforms. But I think on social media, the, the key things that are changing now is that you can no longer keep a captive audience and just publish things every single day and hope that they're going to see it. The algorithms now serve up what people want to see, what they've interacted with and from people who they have interacted with. So now more than ever, social media is about being social, just like in the real world. And in the real world, you don't walk into a, a bar and just talk and talk and talk and expect people to listen. You interact, you listen, you add value, you compliment people, you tell them other people what they've said, you share anecdotes. And that's really what social media is about now. So if you want your posts to be seen by your audience, you should go out there and be social with them because you can no longer just post and get huge impressions. And if you don't want to go out there and be social or you haven't got the time, you should probably consider advertising on social to get the reach that you're used to. In terms of SEO, I think for venues and for event industry professionals and organisations, my main tip would be 
to look at your competitors. So many people that I work with in SEO in our industry, they worry about the blogs that they read, what an e-commerce website has done, how this blog has tripled its visitors in 48 hours with this great trick. But in SEO, to do well, you've only got to be one step ahead of your competitors. So really it's about seeing what your competitors are doing and improving on that and always staying one step ahead. It's not about taking the latest trend trick, whatever you've read in a blog that's worked for a e-commerce or a big site. It's really about what works for you and what works in this industry. Some great advice there, just to, to kind of round off. Where can people find out more about uh, Patch Media if they're looking to do so? Yeah, so if they go to patchmedia.co.uk, um, that's our website. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, George. And you can hear more from Matt at Event Lab in only three weeks, where he'll be running a drop-in session for venues looking to supercharge their marketing output. Now, we love a great experience here on the Event Lab podcast. So when we saw Deborah Armstrong's article in Access All Areas giving a rallying call to event planners to make their experiential offerings better, we invited her in to chat with Ben from the Event Lab team to find out more. Good evening, everyone. Um, tonight, we've got a fantastic, uh, fantastic interview lined up here. We've got uh, Debs Armstrong, who is the founder of Shangri-La at uh, Glastonbury Festival and is also the managing director at Strong & Co., um, Debs, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Where would you say is the best place to start in terms of you've got your event, it's maybe set up, but there's a lot more that can be done. What would you say is the first step to really making the experience incredible from where it is at the moment? The first, very first step is is caring about what you're doing and um, finding something within the event that you really can be passionate about and can get stuck into um, because the first sort of worky thing that I have to do for each event is a lot of research. Um, I really have to get underneath the hood of what the client's business objectives are, who the audience are, um, what state of mind they're going to be in and so forth. So in terms of the sort of the way clients are, are thinking at the moment, what's what would you say is the most common thing that people are asking for in terms of if they come to you and say, right, we've got something, but we don't know how to make it going to the next level. Um, what would you sort of suggest to, to anyone that's really struggling to kick it off? Um, my clients are super diverse. So what they come <laughs> with is always really different. We create bespoke events which are really tailored to their business needs at the time. So we go from charities, publishing, digital, media, film, festival. So none of them come to me with a particular one thing that they want. But what they all want is a unique, memorable to the extent of sinking into the deep brain aspect of it, really, experience for their guests. They want to be wowed. So in terms of, of being wowed, there's obviously quite a lot that can be done at the moment. If we take maybe something that couldn't, wouldn't necessarily be considered as the most exciting event, maybe it's some kind of conference or um, maybe some brand launch or something like that. What can, what can sort of more corporate clients do to uh, work more with their audience and try and get the audience more involved and just create a, an experience there that works with everything that they've got available 
and maybe doesn't cost them the earth as well. Yeah, I don't think things need to cost a single penny. I've seen excellent experiential just done by speakers in a small room. Uh, and what they do is that they're, they're hypersensitive to the audience's state of mind and the points at which they'll be drifting and how to get them back in and how to bring them pe present within the space. Um, I've done things in terms of the way that people are introduced that have completely changed the dynamics of the event. So, for example, you might be aware that actually people won't introduce themselves properly because they're a little shy and I'd probably say, hi, my name's Deb, so I'd make some events. I wouldn't say, hey, I design amazing experiential and I founded Shangri-La because it's just sort of not the done thing. So, so therefore, in that setting, you could recognise that they won't introduce themselves properly and find another mechanism around that that then actually brings them out of themselves. All these things are completely free, but they tend to be hypersensitive to who the audience are. So you almost need like a, a coaching Bible for anyone that's speaking or presenting just to bring a bit of extra showmanship. It's hard for me to say because I, I, I think it's really intuitive. Um, the way I operate is always very um, gut-based instincts about people and their psychology. How to engage them, that's the question because you know, actually people have got short spans of attention, it's boring, their phones are pinging, X, Y, Z. So how to bring them present within that space so that it has a, a, a real impact on them is the question. It is so important now to make sure that you're thinking a lot about your audience and that that's kind of the core of, of what you do, because otherwise what's the point? Literally, that's what I mean about passion. What's the point? What is the point if you're bored by it or you're not thinking about the audience? <laughs> I truly don't know. What would you say is the best thing that you've seen from events this year that and really making the experience incredible? I mean, I've got to say it's, Tomorrowland does have some next level big stage sets and video mapping. And uh, I just got sent some showreel from that. And I was like, oh, yeah, well done. For our listeners who maybe haven't seen this, what have we got on on at Tomorrowland? Uh, do you know what? I don't even know what the lineup in is. I just <laughs> went, that's a really next level stage set and the way they've lit it and the way they video mapped it is really good. So in terms of like a festival set build, yeah. I was like, that's really good. I mean, Boomtown has got some incredible festival set builds within it as well. Um, so I think that area is quite often where people are able to push the boundaries creatively because there's no... There is no business agenda really behind what you design at a festival. So um, I think there's quite a lot of people like Block Nine, for example, that use the festival to get really creative and play. And then they've got um, a whole stream of work outside of that as well. In the production realm, I know there's lots going on with um, with soundscape. And that, yeah, I've but... been hearing about directional speakers, systems and so forth and... But then also you've got really ancient arts that um, are disguised as new tech, like um, Pepper's Ghost, disguised as, you know, which is the hologram, that um, the Tupac hologram and everything. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, they, it's a combination of a projection and um, an angled screen, like a gauze, and then a mirror and then an actor, it, it, it looks like a ghost. And then what they did for the Tupac illusion was basically that on a really, really big scale. It's been around since the Victorian age. <laughs> um, 
And, you know, there's things like, for example, you can see a big upsurge in, in puppetry, which is the most simple, very ancient art, but like Warhorse, your Avenue Q and all of those types of shows where, yeah. where actually you've got something that's so simple actually allows the audience to pour their own interpretation into it. It leaves like a gap for the imagination which they can fill and therefore becomes more memorable. So I, you know, I'm I'm not not all about techie. I, I like I like to take whatever medium is best going to suit the goal and mix it all up. So you essentially need to come in and create almost like a framework. Yeah, and 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 I think you know again, it's what is going to be the most suitable medium for communicating what you need to communicate and for um, delivering the atmosphere that that needs to be and you know maybe it's smell maybe you need to tap into maybe you know maybe actually we need to use smell more maybe it's light maybe it's av and usually it is a combination of all of them um, which gets the best result lots of different things that that can be done and it's really just down to the individual creativity of the teams that are organizing these events and the vision of the client who invests in the team to do something different rather than something that they've seen before labeled differently do you find it can be quite difficult for a client to to get on board with with certain visions sometimes i think personally i'm in a really blessed situation that clients come to me usually with things that they, they are more risky they want to push it further so yeah I'm really lucky in that sense um, that we get to do more interesting challenging projects but I think that if you are within an environment such as property development or law where it's a much more conservative environment it can be much more difficult to persuade the board that it's worth spending x number of grand on that which doesn't have the usual results that they would expect but saying that i judged the event awards last year and one of the entries was a property company that had done something really stunning and as a result they'd sold every flat straight away so you know <laughs> what I mean? it's it's not something that traditional companies can necessarily see the benefit of investing in it's been wonderful speaking with you, Debs. Thank really you. interesting insight to to what clients can do, really, to to make their events even better. And um, if you want to get in touch with Debs... You can DM me at Debs Armstrong on Twitter, or you can go through my website, which is studio at strongandco.net. Um, her contact details will be below. Um, oh, that'd be and lovely. I'm sure, I'm sure we can get people to drop you a line and, oh, yeah. and find out how they can make their events even better. No problem. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for joining us, Debs, and um, hope to see you again soon. Thank you so much. I cannot say it enough. We are only a few weeks away from Event Lab, which is happening on October the 23rd and 24th at the Barbican. You can find links to register for tickets to the event in the show notes below, or you can go to eventlab.online for more information. Now, if you enjoy the podcast, make sure to rate us on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. If you have any questions or you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can email us at eventlab at hirespace.com. And finally, you can follow all that we do on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at eventlab underscore online.